we're going to be in two verses this morning. Proverbs 14.1 and 2 Timothy 1.5. Now, 2 Timothy 1.5 will be more uh, part of the introduction. And uh, then I want to preach to you from Proverbs 14 and verse 1. This morning, I've been preaching on uh, the family. And this morning, I want to preach on mothers who build. Mothers who build. We've looked at uh, various aspects of the family, um, starting with just the whole purpose, the big picture of what the family is for. And then uh, we looked at fathers and um, we looked at uh, marriage, husbands, wives, and uh, last week fathers. And uh, this morning, I want to look at mothers, mothers who build. If you're in Second uh, Timothy 1 verse 5, let's read that first, where Paul speaking to Timothy says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. And then Proverbs 14 and verse 1, the Bible says, Every wise woman buildeth her house but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank and praise you for your, your love to us and for the, the loving and all-wise and all-good plan that you have for us in our lives, our relationships, for bringing Eve to Adam and making the institution of marriage and bringing children into the world and <clears throat> giving instruction and over time giving examples and teaching us where there's no relationship that's more near and dearer to our hearts that affects us on a daily basis than our family relationships. And thankfully, Lord, you've not uh, given us this most intimate of all relationships and then just left us to wander and meander and suffer and experience pain and disappointment and occasional triumphs mysteriously. But Lord, you've set before us the path of blessing. You've laid it out and shown us how it should go, and you've assured us a blessing if we'll follow your plan in these things. And, and Lord, we have experienced that as well, that when we have followed your plan and obeyed you, that the result has been a wonderful, um, blessed family relationship. And, and I pray for that, Lord. It's our desire that that would characterize our church, that our people would delight in what you've given them in their family and that they would be diligent stewards of the wonderful gift you've given and that they would also enjoy the blessing in the end. So I pray that as we hear the word preached this morning that all of us would be attentive, all of us. And I pray that we would recognize the great value of mothers, and um, that we would treasure them, that husbands and fathers would treasure and encourage 
their wives and um, guide them and set the agenda that their wives can follow that will um, set a course of blessing. And then, Lord, that um, everyone, the church, would rally around those who are actively mothering their children even now and would be an encouragement and help to them and that uh, we would rejoice in time to come as well. And Lord, we pray that you would build your church by building our families. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, this is the fifth in our little series on, on family, and the next message tonight will be the last of those. Um, six messages on perhaps the most inf- impactful thing that we all do. And I hope it's not too much for you. I, I would hate for it to be too much for you. Uh, because it's such an important thing here. And the church needs to know what this is about here. As I preached, I've been insisting that God intends to build his kingdom through godly families. This is kingdom building, what we're preaching about here. I know that there are other elements of kingdom building that maybe are more exciting to us or that we might be more interested in, but but this is the core element. These are the foundation bricks that we're talking about right here. Translated for mothers, this means that the mundane, tedious, sometimes tiring work of wiping noses and wiping bottoms, of cooking and doing flashcards and spanking and drilling verses and praying at bedtime, that's kingdom work. You're building the kingdom of God as you do that. In a day when Christian kids are straying away from God and the church in droves, when the Pied Piper lures our children into the world with his strange song, never to be seen again, we desperately, desperately need these messages. Preaching, understand preaching serves a very important role in your life. It points out spiritual needs and it points to the solution in God's word. And preaching is important, but it is no replacement for the Holy Spirit of God. Apathy, complacency, the, the commonality of just hearing about these things and we think, well, I've heard these things before. I, I know these things. Pastor, I could probably preach the message for you. And then an apathy sets in that can only be fixed by the Holy Spirit through the preached word of God. May God stir us to the work of spreading his kingdom throughout the world by turning our hearts to our children. Our text in 2 Timothy gives us an encouragement from the ladies in Timothy's life. His grandmother and his mother Godly ladies, godly women, God-fearing. You know, we know almost nothing about Timothy's father, apart from what we're told in, in the book of Acts in chapter 16, where we're told that Timothy was the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek. Paul often referred to Timothy as his own son in the faith, 
we assume that his father was an unbeliever. Paul has much to say about Timothy as a great leader in the early New Testament church. In our text, Paul points to Timothy's unfeigned faith, his sin- the sincerity of his faith. Unfeigned comes at it kind of through the back door instead of straight up sincerity. says nothing fake about it. Nothing pretentious. The uh, Greek word is related to the word Hippocrates, which is the Greek word for acting. It's anapocrates, anapocrates, which begins with that alpha negative that says not, not acted out, not pretending, not, not a show, unfeigned, absolutely sincere and without hypocrisy. Timothy was that. He was that kind of, you know, the kind that is easy to despise that we see in churches. Um, those young men that are just innocent and sincere and want to serve the Lord. Timothy was that right there. <clears throat> and Paul recognized uh, Paul uh, Timothy's sincerity uh, in his tears. The, 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 what Paul said that this um, unfeigned faith dwelt in him as it has as it had dwelt in his mother and his grandmother. And he names those godly women who also were sincere and without fraud, without fake, without hypocrisy. Literally, his unfeigned faith took up residence and was perfectly at home in Timothy, it held free sway over his life. And he had learned that from his mother and from his grandmother. Pious women loved the Lord, had a sincere love for God and for his people. And Timothy saw that and he also followed in that. And Paul recognizes it, but especially in Timothy's tears, he sees that sincerity in Timothy's tears. Paul led Timothy to Christ, so he probably remembered the tears that Lois shed and the tears that Eunice shed and the tears that Timothy himself must have shed and probably remembered his own tears as well because Paul was an emotional man and he shed some tears when Timothy was born again. I imagine that those same tears were shed again when the day came when Timothy stood up and opened the word of God and began to preach to the people. I imagine that there was that same thing. Now, let's pause for a moment and let this be an encouragement to every Christian mother. God can use you in glorious ways to pass your faith along to your children. Let me encourage every mother here, trust God for your children. Fear the Lord and build your house. God wants mothers who build. That is, mothers whose diligence and faithfulness in the home produces mature and godly Christian children who grow into fruitful Christian adulthood. The Bible calls this kind of woman a wise woman. That is her character. She is wise. 
I want to make a few points about that. Then I want to point out to you some things about her work, which is the work of building her house. And then I want to show you her value to her family, but also her value to the kingdom of God. That's our outline. Her character, her work, and her value. We begin with her character. To come at this biblically, we have to absolutely discard, lay aside everything that the world promotes as wisdom when it comes to the place, the role of women in our society, in our culture. Our culture, understand, our culture has this conceit and insists on maintaining this deceit, this conceit, deceit, um, that we are the first culture in history to get it right. And yet our culture completely rejects the woman's place of honor in our culture. In this day and age, if a woman fulfills the role that God has for her, she is especially despised. That's not enlightened, folks. That's not enlightened. No matter how sophisticated it may seem, and no matter how the world may sneer, nonetheless, that is not enlightened. Right there. A few years ago, C.R. Wiley delivered a lecture at the University of Idaho, a lecture which he entitled Toxic Matriarchy. Now, that's not how we are usually hearing it, right? It's toxic masculinity, right? Toxic patriarchy. But he called it toxic matriarchy. Wiley saw matriarchy as toxic when it created a dependency in her children that they could not break free from. He called that toxic matriarchy, a, a mother who creates a dependency in her children that they cannot break free from. And we see a lot of that sort of thing today. A lot of that dependence. The snowplow mom, the, the helicopter mom. Now, besides this topic, which interested me right away when I saw toxic matriarchy, I thought that I always loved that kind of turnabout right there. The other thing that intrigued me was the way the students at the University of Idaho responded to his lecture. They protested, they raged. They shouted him down. They heckled him throughout the lecture. But never more than when Wiley argued that the bond that unites a mother and her child is one of the greatest consolations a woman can enjoy. Oh my! They were ready to, they were tearing their clothes, throwing dust in the air, ready to stone him! How dare he say! Such a thing. Away with such a fellow from the earth. The students jeered and mocked and shouted him down. See, according to the so-called enlightenment of this brave new world, a mother cannot simply be a mother at home if she wants to make her place in the world. She can't. She's, she has to find her identity outside, not inside of the home. She has to build something else, something other than her home, or the enlightened say she is nothing, or at least she is nothing worthwhile. But friends, this is folly, not wisdom. The career woman 
is not the wise woman, no matter how sophisticated she might may consider herself. As Mr. Wiley argued, the only fame a mother can know is in her own household. Not surprisingly, when he said that, well, then the dust started flying in the air and the stones were coming out and they were ready to stone him again. I get why the world would hate that idea. I get it. From their perspective, given their assumptions about the world, I understand why the world would hate that. It seems to me to be consistent with their heart commitments to um, rebellion against God and a rejection of all the norms that God has established in our world. What I don't understand, honestly, I don't understand it given, given any assumptions, no matter how secular, no matter how atheistic, I don't understand why the world hates and despises the idea that a woman would find great consolation in her bond with her children. Why is that? I don't, I don't know what would be the problem with that. It seems to me to be the most natural thing in the world, that a mother would find her greatest fulfillment in the bond that she enjoys with her children. We have a little sign that uh, our kids got for my wife um, that says, uh, to the world, you are a mother, but to your children, you are the world. And I think that that's the way it ought to be. What mother in her right mind would not love that right there? No, the world may despise the housewife. God calls her wise. The wise woman is the woman who builds her house. Not a really successful business. Not an advancing career. Not a reputation or a fortune or a name. But the woman who wipes noses and spanks bottoms and feeds bellies and cleans kitchens and keeps house. Not only is this a mark of wisdom, but it is also a mark that God has blessed you richly. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. Let's note a few important qualities of this wise woman. First of all, she is a believer, which is the first mark of biblical wisdom. In the Bible, the wise are those who believe and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fool are those who reject him, who refuse to. She stands on the promises. She believes God for her children. She fears the Lord. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that, that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. She's diligent about her business. She looketh well to the ways of her household, Proverbs 31 says, and eateth not the bread of idleness. She is an asset to her home. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She's like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hand, she planteth a vineyard. 
She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. She is a strong woman. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. Strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. Her children are evidently cared for. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. She reigns over a happy, healthy home. In short, she is just the opposite of the foolish woman. Charles Bridges, in his commentary, said, But mark the foolish woman, her idleness, waste, love of pleasures, one of all forethought and care, her children's wills allowed, their souls neglected, their happiness ruined. The wise woman is the woman who builds her house. That is a mark of a wise woman. She builds her house. So let's look then at her work here, this work of building the house. The father's purpose, of course, we've talked about. His purpose is to provide and to protect. And the mother's purpose is to complement that. Michael Foster in his book, It's Good to Be a Man, calls her a productive magnifier of her husband's strength. A productive magnifier of her husband's strength. She takes his strength and she magnifies it. She takes his work and she expands, expands it. He explains, the man is the house builder, he says. The woman is the homemaker. She takes that house and she appoints it and furnishes it until it becomes a home, a place of rest and comfort and hospitality. The man is the supplier, the woman the refiner. She takes the raw material that he provides through the sweat of his brow, whether food or cloth or money or whatever else, and returns them as a good meal, a fine garment, a beautified home, or some other resource of greater value. This is most exemplified in childbearing itself, where she takes her man's seed into her and returns it to him as an offspring and an inheritance. And this is a beautiful thing, God's plan. The way that this works, that she takes everything her man gives her and she expands it and she elaborates on it and she refines it and she beautifies it so that it turns into something that is for comfort and for pleasure and for, for enjoyment, for delight and of, of all things most important so that it is building the kingdom of God from her front porch. In this sense of a fruitful magnifier, a wife is a true help to her husband. Her husband works hard to provide and she takes that provision and she magnifies it, enlarges it, extends it. She does this instead of diminishing it or ridiculing it or minimizing it or wasting it. The foolish woman 
waste her husband's labor. That's why Solomon, his Solomon's mother, warned him, Give not thy strength unto women. There are women who will devour, who will consume, and not return it. And so his mother wisely warned him. And of course, in the book of Proverbs, you have this contrast between the foolish woman, also the strange woman on this hand, and the virtuous woman, the wise woman on the other hand. And Solomon's mother was not telling him not to give his strength to a woman, but not to give his strength to women. Give your strength to the right woman and she will repay you many times over. So the foolish woman wastes her husband's labor. She consumes his strength and turns it to her own selfish ends. But the, the wise woman, the wise woman, her role in the home is that of a business manager or better yet, to say her role is as a homemaker. She and her husband are partners in the business. And by careful management and supervision, the house flourishes and prospers. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands, she planteth a vineyard. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle and her hands Hold the distaff. And then the virtuous woman is described this way. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. But her most important work is with the children, instructing them, training them, disciplining them, paddling them, loving them, feeding them, building them. A house is not established to a thousand generations by means of material wireless inheritances have been passed down to children who then squandered it. And in most cases, behind the scenes was a mother who coddled, who pampered, who spoiled and neglected her children. C.R. Wiley said that he told his wife, my job is to protect you from the kids and to protect the kids from you. The helicopter mom hovers overhead to ensure that her children never experience anything unpleasant, anything that might scar them for life. This might uh, make some of the ladies upset a little bit, but scars are really not all that bad. Your kids will survive the scars. My wife read me something. We were trying to find it, and I can't remember where it was, where it came from, but um, someone said that um, the, the right kind of woman, the right kind of mother, is the kind who hands her son a hatchet and then says, go out and have fun with this. Don't cut your fingers off. And then when he cuts his fingers off, says, you'll live. <clears throat> Listen. I wouldn't hand my kids a knife and tell them to go cut themselves with it, but I have handed my kids plenty of knives over the years, and they all have scars to prove it as well. And there are other things, other fun stories that we can tell. One time, I probably told this story before. Just interrupt me if I've already told it, all right? But 
we were, we were, I think we were in Yellowstone and we bought them all these little souvenir, you know, pocket knives and they're in the back seat and playing and having fun. And all of a sudden we heard, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Are you okay? I'm sorry. And my wife and I are both in the front seat and wondering what's going on back there. And uh, so we just paused and said, what happened? And well, two of the kids were in the back and uh, they were sword fighting with their um, pocket knives. And uh, one of them stabbed the other one right there under the eye, which make all the ladies cringe, I know. But they lived and um, they lived. They survived uh, on this. But listen, and this is the point. When mothers overmother their kids, they create codependence. And those codependents are incapable of reaching maturity because mom is holding them back. That's why he said, my job is to protect you from the kids and to protect the kids from you. Take hold of that. Man. This is what we have today. A lot of overmothered people who can't ever quite break free. I hope that mothers here will listen to me carefully on this point. You can be the best coupon clipper in the church. You can start a mommy blog and um, you can make great videos touting all your mothering skills and, you know, go back to what, what the thing right now is. It, everyone's going back to, you know, I forget, like pioneering or something with that. You can be the best little homemaker in the county complete with quilts and homemade jam and homemade diapers. And you can make the dollar stretch and make all your own clothes and grow all your own food and go native here. But if you don't discipline your children and train them up and make them faithful to Christ, what is it? What good is it? If you don't let them make mistakes and learn from their mistakes, and trample through the mud and ruin some of the clothes that you bought them. They'll bring your gray hairs down to the grave in sorrow. When children aren't disciplined biblically, they bring an especially painful scourge on the mother. You can have them in a Christian school and you can teach them their verses and you can review their flashcards and even spank them and correct them. There has to be more than just that. A house is not built mechanically. It's not built by formula. When the Bible speaks of building the home, it is speaking of the way we build up our children into mature, godly Christianity. Building up an inheritance that can only be described as incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. This is not accomplished through clipping coupons, canning, sewing, homeschooling, or homemaking. It is, it is, but it isn't. Understand what I'm saying. We cannot, we must not rely on our homemaking skills alone. If we would have godly children, we must have mothers who walk with God. 
godly mothers. In fact, I would argue that the mother plays the most important role in this. Mothers, you must build your home. First, you build it by your word. Maybe I should say by your words. The words that you use. Which includes the things that you say and also the way that you say those things. Listen to this description of the virtuous woman. She openeth her mouth with wisdom. And in her tongue is the law of kindness. Mothers, it's no good for you to spend all your time ragging on the kids. Talk to them, instruct them, encourage them, correct them. Pass along your faith to them. Teach them God's word. That's what Paul said of Timothy's mother and grandmother. And that from a holy child, thou hast known the holy, I'm sorry, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So much of the Christian faith is passed from mouth to ear. The mouth of a godly mother to the ear of her eager children. Secondly, mothers, build your house by your word. You cannot rely on your homemaking skills as if those alone are adequate, sufficient. But you must be a good homemaker. Take care of things at home. The work of wiping noses and spanking bottoms, as I said, is kingdom work. And you should see that work that way. In those times when you're weary and tired and frustrated and fed up, see it that way. And husbands, help your wife to, to value that work. Not just in the, you know, the sentimental you know, they don't last forever. They don't stay this way forever. They won't be kids forever kind of thing. That's true. But it's more important that you understand that you have this one chance right here. And after that, it's over. It's gone. And then you live with the consequences for the rest of your life. <clears throat> As your children see you working hard, cleaning, cleaning the house, cooking the meals, caring for them, disciplining them, instructing them, guiding them, they are being built by that. But if children see mom as idle and a busybody and a talebearer, the house will be brought down because she is pulling it down with her own hand. We have no place for self-centered, lazy, wallflower moms. Mothering work is hard, not for wimps. It'll ruin your nails. It'll wear out your hands. It'll weather your face and gray your hair. And there's a beauty in this. See, that's part of the problem. The only beauty we seem capable of seeing is that photoshopped beauty that you get from Hollywood. And so we want our wives to be Barbie dolls after they brought five or six kids into the world. Or 
Or worse yet, we don't want to bring in five or six kids into the world because they won't be Barbie dolls anymore. <clears throat> There's a beauty in motherhood, in the strain, in the wear and tear on a mother's hands, on her hair that shows up in her body. The 60-year-old movie stars with 18-year-old bodies have a beauty that can be described best as pedestrian. But there is a glory. There is an unmatched beauty in mothers who have worn themselves out for the sake of their children to raise them up to godly saints. That's glory. And that glory licks hollow all the glory that Hollywood can Photoshop onto a magazine cover. And by the way, husbands, you should be making it known to your wife that you treasure that, that you value that, that you think that's wonderful, the way she's worn herself out and given her body and her strength and her youth to raising those children. Thirdly, ladies, build your house by your example. Your children see more of you than they see of their dad. That's by nature and I think by design. They hear what you say, but they watch what you do and the way you do it. They listen to your example. What do they see when they look at you? Do they see the Christian faith lived out in eggs and bacon, in winter coats and boots and hats and gloves? In made beds and clean toilets? Do they see the Christian faith lived out in vegetable gardens and coupon clippings and canning jars and quilts and diaper changes and the vicious cycle of laundry that's never done and always being done? Do they see the Christian faith lived out in devotion to the Lord, faithful Bible reading and prayer, compassion and care for the poor, that's what Proverbs 31 says. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth out her hands to the, to the needy. What kind of example of the Christian faith are you giving to your kids? Finally, I want to show you her value, the value of this mother who builds her house, this wise mother. Here is the value. The wise woman builds her house. That's the value. That's her work, that's her wisdom, that's her value. She builds her house. She's valuable, not only in her own home, but also she's valuable to her husband. She's value irreplaceable to her husband and to her children. But she's valuable also to her community, to the nation and people. And I say this knowing full well that our culture will still despise her. And insist that a woman's true value can only be found outside of the home. Ignore that. Get rid of that. Throw it away. That's, it's a lie. It's a vicious lie. Get rid of it. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. House and riches are the inheritance of fathers. And a prudent wife is from the Lord. Her wisdom may supply many of his defects, 
while all the results of his care and prudence may be wasted by her folly. And so, Charles Bridges once said, a fortune in a wife is better than a fortune with a wife. In truth, Kyle and Delich said, in truth, the oneness of the house is more dependent on the mother than on the father. A wise mother can, if her husband be dead or neglectful of his duty, always keep the house together. But if the housewife has neither understanding nor goodwill for her calling, then the best will of the house father cannot hinder the dissolution of the house. In other words, you can have godly, pious mothers who are dedicated to raising her children and building her house. And she will have success even if her husband is a lazy, no good bum. But if you have a wife who is a fool, a husband, no matter how diligent he might be, will probably be at the losing end of that bargain. I really can't say that one thing is better than another, that a godly husband, godly wife. I, I wouldn't say that we need more, one more than the other. We need both. We need both. That's what we're preaching. That's what we're aiming for here. This much I know. A virtuous wife, a virtuous mother, is irreplaceable, priceless, a treasure to her home and family. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit, pardon me, of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. I wish every mother here would find purpose and fulfillment in her role as a wife and as a mother. Would look at her children and say, Lord, help me in the end to present these children to you to fly out of my husband's hands like arrows from the bow of a mighty man to go forth and do the work you've given us to do. Ladies, stop looking outside of your home for fulfillment. Okay? Stop looking around for meaning in life. Find that meaning in building your home. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, he said, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Fear the Lord, fulfill his purpose for your life, and see in the end how happy and fulfilled you can be. Let's pray.